Now, I know there's some visitors here today, and, and I know the missions team was gone last week, and we're kind of like in the middle of our James series, but for you folks, I want to catch you up to speed. We're going to kind of run through a little bit, because we've only got, we're just starting chapter two, so you haven't missed much, but there is a lot to James, right? James, a half-brother of Jesus. James is in charge of the church in Jerusalem, and it's a very tough place to minister to. And again, this letter is written shortly after, relatively shortly after, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so persecution starting, he's under the shadow basically of the temple, right? And the leaders who have been persecuting Jesus turn around and now are persecuting the church. It's continued on. Because guess what? Getting rid of Jesus didn't stop Christianity, didn't stop the movement. Praise God, we're still here today because of that. But James has this church, and again, it's mostly Jewish because it's in Jerusalem. So you'll see that as you work through the book. There's some, a lot of things that kind of references, but would perk the interest of his hearers. But I also like the book of James because you know what? He's pretty direct. And he gives great illustrations, right? I don't even try to improve on his illustrations. He gives great illustrations. It's a straightforward book, but it's kind of a book of to Christian believers in the church to, to live it out, live out God's word. And so in chapter 1, if, a few weeks ago now, we looked at three things, right? We looked at trials. And where do trials come from? You that were here, where do trials come from? Yeah, a, few, a few of you, man. It's always a pastor's nightmare. When he asks that question, did, did anyone listen to his message and actually remember what was said? Yes, they come from God, right? And we're to consider it joy, right? Because those trials bring about perseverance, and they help us in our walk. We also learned what temptation, and where does temptation come from? That was the second part of that. Where does temptation come from? It doesn't come from God, right? It comes from Satan. And then we learned about consequences, because at the end of the day, a lot of times the devil doesn't even have to tempt us. It's the consequences of our own sin. And so we looked at those three things and then what to do with them. So if you missed out on the first part of chapter 1, that's what we looked at. And so I would encourage you this week to kind of read back through that and see if you see those themes as you run through it. Now, last week, we did the old Nike commercial. If you remember that, right? Just do it. Just do it. Do what God's Word says, right? And again, we started off with, a, and I told you to underline these verses, and Heidi was actually mentioning that, that Jeb reiterated back to her, and I'm not sure what the context was. I, hopefully, it was a good context that Jeb said this, but he said, hey, pay attention, right? Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. Those are things that we can take away from that. And right, that's good practice always, right? God's given us two ears and one mouth. We probably should use them proportionally, right? PJ's smiling and laughing over there because she reminds me of these verses once in a while as well. And someone who speaks a lot, I can get in trouble, but I need to be quick to listen. Hear the completed thought. Go all the way to the end. Keep my temper in check. Because you know what? That doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. And then we talked about the mirror. Remember that, right? Like the man looks in the mirror and he walks away, he forgets, right? Don't let God's word be that, right? When we look at God's word, we're to take it in, we're to impress upon our heart, let it plan in our heart so that we can put it into practice, right? Doers of the word. And those were some of the things. And then we ended with a pure faith, a pure religion is ministering to the orphans and the widows, that's kind of where we left off, and now we're going to transition into this week's message, chapter 2. And this week is being consistent. 
See, James has done the teaching, and he continues to teach God's Word, and he says, now, brothers and sisters, I want you to be consistent in your walk. And that theme is going to continue on throughout the rest of the letter. And like I said, James is great because James kind of laps back around. You'll see there's, there's things in the, in the second chapter that refer back to chapter 1, and the third chapter back to chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it kind of builds and it continues to remind us. So you're going to see that here. But being consistent so important as a Christian, right? Because like I've told you, guess what? People are watching you. doesn't matter any circumstances. People in the church watch you, but it's even, I say even under more scrutiny out in the world. They are watching you. It was great that report that, that Linda gave about Brent and Lake and the, the missions team, right? They were watching you. They, they took note of you all the way down there. Little Point Way Church was, was recognized because of the work they were doing with Envision. But you're being watched. You're being run through a grid some way and being judged. So being consistent is utterly important as a believer. And so James starts this off in chapter 2 as my brothers, as believers, and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Whap! He hits you right there, right? Don't show favoritism. He hits you right out the beginning. Here's where we're going. Don't show favoritism. And then he gives us an example. Gotta love it, because like I said, I don't have to improve on his, his illustrations because they're, they're really good. So he gives us, some say hypothetical. It may have been a real situation. It happens. It happened in the church back then. It happens in today's churches as well. It says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you were to show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Right? So it gives you this scenario. It gives you this situation. And you got to remember, too, a little bit of the Jewish mindset. Where you sat was vitally important. It, it meant something. It's probably not as much in our culture, but culturally back then, you sat too much in the front row. Right? Or how close you sat to the teacher mattered. Here, nobody sits too much in the front rows. It's pretty empty up here, right? so I, I got that covered. And I'm not a spitter, Ralph. You've proven that, right? So there's room. I mean, the prize seats are usually the ones way in the back. But culturally speaking, where you sat was important. And can you imagine... If we had ushers, again, I'm going back in history because we used to have ushers and that, and they, they see this man come in and they grab him and they bring him right up and they sit him right here, right in front of the, the teacher and basically it becomes a one-on-one -on -one session and ignores the rest of you. See, favoritism has two effects on people. They're both negative in many ways, right? For the person that comes in that's getting the special treatment, it's usually unmerited, it's unwanted. A lot of times also, even if it is wanted, it's with ulterior motive. They want something. Again, remember, this man is a rich man. Jay makes that point very clearly. That's a rich man, that's who he's paying attention to. But what does that do to everybody else? Right? You're making a judgment, right? He's more important than the rest of you. Think about if we did that here at Pointway, Right? Tony, you're my favorite elder. Did you know that? You are my favorite elder of all times. What about the rest of you? 
Yeah, Bryce is back there shaking his head like, Charlie, I thought I was your favorite elder. And poor Dave's out with the kids. He has no idea what he's been talking about. Brandon, you're in line. Yeah, Brandon's just waving back there. See the problems it would cause. What about our worship teams, right? We have four worship teams. If I said, hey, Ryan, your team is the best. You guys did an outstanding job. No, I knew that was coming. I mean, I could count on you doing that. But what does that do? It causes, what does it cause? Divisive, dissension, right? Causes hurt feelings. That doesn't, that's not being consistent. That's not being loving. That's not being kind. See the problems with that? And so James is pointing that out. As believers, we need to be consistent in how we treat everyone. Money's not a factor. I once heard, actually it was a church that we were in, and it wasn't at the time that we were in it, but it was a mill town. And the church made it its purpose to go after the mill managers. They were struggling financially. The mill managers made all the money. The workers didn't make so much. And so they made it their goal to go after the mill managers. Guess what? It never happened. Thank goodness, because it wasn't a good testimony. But it caused a bad feeling in the town because it wasn't representative. Now, certainly they wouldn't have minded the mill managers coming in, and certainly they need Jesus as well. But the purpose was to gain money. Totally off the point. And so we have to be careful as a church body that we don't do the same, that we don't segregate things or that we make things or a group of people more important than our testimony, our, our faith, and our walk with Jesus. So that's the first warning here about favoritism. It's a lot more that can be said on that. And then he goes, typical James, right? Listen. Listen, Linda. I used to say that. Do you remember that joke? I came around. Listen, pay attention. Here we go, right? My dear brothers, again, James, as believers, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be those in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? He's reminding them, because guess what? In that church, most of them were poor financially. Right? Finances don't matter in God's economy. Right? It's our faith. Our faith is what matters most. It's not about the dollar. It's not about how much is in our accounts. It's what is our faith. And that's what he's saying to Hey, you're poor, but you're rich in many ways because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's encouragement to them. Then he kind of whaps them upside the head. Kind of have to ride the waves with James a little bit, right? If, imagine if you're in this church and he's preaching, you know, all right, he's just built you up, you're, you're, and then he's going to whap you in the head again. But, again, if you've showed favoritism, you've insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him? whom you belong to, right? The irony. You're making this fuss over this rich man, and they're the ones that are actually doing part of the persecution. They're the ones that are taking from you. Again, in that day, if you owed a debt, guess what? You could be put in prison for it until the debt was paid. And not only you, if it was a great enough debt, it could be your wife, your kids, your whole family. They call in the mark. Imagine if our... our 
mortgages did that, right? Say, all right, you know what? Your mortgages due. We're changing the rules. Your mortgages due on September 1st. How many panics would there be? Or your car payments due tomorrow. And you either have it or you don't. And guess what? If you don't have it, you go to jail. Right? I'd be probably starting a prison ministry real soon because there would be a lot, a lot of us that would be in that, that boat. But that's what they were doing. They were descending their payment and throwing them. And this was coming from the rich people. The very person or people that was, you were paying all this attention to and thinking that you needed their favor. Again, wrong motives. And not being consistent with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, it's a good reminder of how we treat people. How we're supposed to treat them. And how we look at not only our brothers and sisters, but... James is going to expand it out a little bit further than that as well. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds familiar. I think someone else said that. That's not a James, right? Who else taught that? Huh? Wasn't just James just picked that up, right? That, that's not a James original. Yeah, Jesus said the exact same words. Love your neighbor as yourself says, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreaker. He's going to get into that a little bit more. But that royal law, that, that first importance, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Just had this debate with an, a pastor friend of mine back, back in the East. And again, it, it comes up every once in a while about, well, you have to love yourself first before you can love others. Drives me nuts. We have no problem loving ourselves. If we are truly honest, we have no problem loving ourselves. Right? By our nature, we are, our sin nature, we are selfish and we can love ourselves. By the what, things that we do, the things that we invest in, the time that we spend, we can love ourselves easily. That's not the problem. Where it gets tough is loving our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Is it just our church folk? Is it Brent? I, I share a half a house with a, a guy. That's my neighbor, right? He, he, he's, that's my one neighbor and my only neighbor. There's woods and everything else, but, but there's one neighbor. No. Who is our neighbors? Everyone's. What about the guys in the Twin City, Envision? Were, there, were those your neighbors this week? Brent, you guys on the mission team, right? Neighbors? What about the folks down at Costco and Walmart? afternoon when you go to pick up some things. Are they your neighbors? Yeah. Yeah, it expands out. It goes beyond not only the believers, but unbelievers. And it says we ought to love them. Again, I'm going way back, and I know I'm stretching, but you remember probably now about a month ago, we talked about love, right? Agape love and, and what that represents and all the facets to love. And what do we say? Love is and just a word, or is it Action. Oh, man. I love my church family. They are so... If I just say it over and over again, it, it means nothing. I, I love you, I love you, but it, if there's no action to follow it, it means nothing. There's no depth to it. There's no heart in it. And we talked about it. love is patient, love is kind, it's not, love is not self-seeking. That all goes in line with loving your neighbor. So now James has gone from just the church family, the poor and the rich, to... Even the people that are persecuting them. And he says, you want to keep the royal law? You want to up the ante? You want to up your game? You want to be consistent? Do that to everyone. Love everyone as you love yourself. 
Again, he's, favoritism, that's what he's been talking about. Law, and he talks this little thing about lawbreakers. You think the, the Jews of that day knew what the law was? Right? It's the very thing that was tripping them up before they came to Christ. All the rules. You know, the the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were really good at that, right? They were up to 600 and something rules. More rules does not produce better behavior. Our United States could take a lesson from that as well, right? More laws don't necessarily produce better citizens or better people. But in the Christian realm, they understood. They understood that the law has a purpose. And he, this little tidbit in here, and again, in case you want to minimize favoritism or minimize some other sin, he says, for whoever keeps a whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking them all. For he said, do not commit adultery, and also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Wait a minute, isn't adultery, murder, lying, pick the sin, right? We, we, we tend to want to categorize sin, don't we? Like, hey, I've got a mastery of this one in my life. I haven't committed this one. I haven't stolen anything in a while, right? So I'm doing good. Meanwhile, I'm lying, cheating, or murdering someone, right? Do you ever notice that? Even in the prison system, they do this. This has always been amazing to me as I've gone and done some prison ministry. Um, there's a ranking system. Now, they're all in jail, and they're all in there for a crime, but guess what? They all have different, right? If you do something against women, you're in that section. If you're a drug addict, you're in this section. If you're a pedophile, you're, you're the low of the low. They, they have a ranking system, even among the prison system. But when God looks at us, what does he see? One sin is equal. It's all sin. So if just one of them, so you may say this morning, well, hey, I got favoritism. I'm, I'm pretty open to all. I can love all. I, I don't have any favorites, right? But maybe there's some other area in your life you need to take a look at. Maybe there's some else, somewhere else that I'm not as consistent in. So maybe I, I, maybe I got favoritism down, but I'm breaking the law over here. And again, as we've talked about before as well, right? We get to choose the sin, but we don't get to choose the consequence. We talked about that back earlier on in chapter 1, right? God's the one that chooses the consequence. Talk about Ralph and I were speeding down the highway, and Ralph got pulled over, and he got the ticket. I got off because I'm a nice guy. And Speeding, though, right? We were both wrong. Some of you remember that example. So James is pretty harsh here, but he's, again, he's trying to drive home the point that favoritism is a sin, and it's wrong. And we can't do it. We have to be consistent in how we treat people. And lastly here, as we round out this part of the message this morning, it says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a whole message in that. You could develop a whole sermon on that alone, but just briefly this morning, mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, from the rich perspective, if you want to use that example, right, they could have shown mercy to those folks that owed them a lot. Could have canceled that debt. That would have been a, a tangible way to show that. Right? 
say, well, I don't owe anybody anything. If you're in that boat, right? That would be a great place to be. But maybe there's some other area where you show mercy, right? We tend to, the sin that we kind of struggle with or the one that maybe we've just gotten over the hump is the one that we tend to identify in other people. Remember the speck in the log? We talked about that as well, right? That tends to amplify. That, we see that sin very clearly in other, in other people. Because guess what? We struggle with it in our own lives. But God says we need to have mercy. We need to be merciful because at some point, as believers, we are going to be judged as well. And not judged by man as much, but we're going to be judged by God. He's going to judge us for how we acted in each situation. How we behaved, how we, perf- we, we performed in that circumstance. So it does matter how we live our lives. Again, not talking about losing your salvation. You know that. It's not at all talking here. You, you don't lose that. But I am talking about our rewards and what we get for doing what is right and what we lose because we don't do what is right. And that's what James is driving home this point here that we need to be mindful of that. How we live is important. How we are in our Christian walk is vitally important to God. How we handle ourselves through situations. How we go through trials. What do we do when we're tempted? How do we act with people as they come into our circle, come into our, our I call it our line of view, right? I mean, I, I can be at, at Walmart or at a mall and there's hundreds of people around, but you know, you only see one or two people, right? Your point of view gets, especially if that person's coming at me or someone that I know or recognize. It's not a big, large group here this morning. It's easy to see all of your faces. Again, some of you I know very well. Some of you I don't. I haven't even met you yet. You're new here this morning, and that's great. But how I treat you is important to God. I like that. That's good. Not even in the South. That works out well. So being consistent. Being consistent with our walk, being consistent with what God's given us, being consistent with the Word of God, these are important to God. And so, just want to leave you with that this morning. Again, maybe it help you when you come into church and, and when you go on the rest of this week that you say, you know what, maybe there's some folks that, I'm not really showing favoritism to other people, but I'm, I'm not as close to those folks as I could be. Maybe I treat them differently. And I don't know exactly why, but I just do. So maybe I need to step up my game in that area. Take a look at that. Be encouraged. Because it matters to God. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder of the temptations that intrigue us, Lord, and that trip us up from time to time, Lord. But we do not have to yield to it. But help us to be consistent in our walk with you. Lord, if there's someone this morning that's here and they don't know you, Lord, may today be the day. They say, I'm a sinner, Lord, and I need a Savior. That you took that penalty for us. That you gave us mercy when we deserve judgment. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I thank you for our time here this morning. Lord, just help us in our walk with you, that we go deeper stronger, and more faithful. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.